Great. I want you to invite Ian up. I'm going to pray for him and then we're going to hear from him. Heavenly Father, right now I just pray that you be over Ian, you enable him. I pray that you use him for your glory and your gospel. Pray the words he speaks would be from you. And Holy Spirit, just rest in his heart right now in your holy name. Amen. 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 Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. <clears throat> good to hear from Andre this morning. It's one of my favourite youth members. I mean, my son's in youth now, so he can't be my favourite. But uh, <laughs> uh, it, I would just encourage you actually to get your young people along, or if you are a young person, get along. It is a life-changing event. Um, just to update as well on the Ukraine stuff, we're going on the 26th of June and the 17th of July. They're the two dates we're doing before the summer and then we're going to do it again come September. So can I encourage you to keep giving from the list, but also if you could give financially uh, to that as well with and see all our bank details are you know, on our website and stuff uh, and in our emails. Uh, and if you do give, just uh, put a reference in as Ukraine. It costs us around two and a half thousand pounds to go every time. Um, which is a reasonable amount of money, uh, but it is so worthwhile. Uh, but another time I will share more photos and explain what's happening out there, but uh, just keep praying for that as God is blessing that. Um, before I get going, why don't you just say hello to someone around you this morning. Uh, it's good to just be friendly, so if someone's near you, just say hello. where we'll be having tea and coffee. Uh, if you are a visitor this morning, you're really welcome. We'd love to stick, for you to stick around and get to know you. As Jeeves said, my name is Ian. Uh, I have the joy of leading the eldership team here. And you're really uh, welcome here this morning. Now, we are starting, as Jeeves has said, a new preaching series today. Whoa. See, Jeeves is excited. Uh, we've finished uh, doing about 10, no, 12 weeks on that origin series, looking at who we are, who we're meant to be, and where we're going. I hope you found that helpful. Uh, and over the next kind of eight to nine weeks, we are looking at some of the tough, kind of big questions that face or might challenge Christianity. Now, uh, we will be, you know, using the Bible throughout this, but just in case you're, this is your first Sunday here, we often spend long amounts of time going through books of the Bible. So this is slightly different from what we normally do. Um, but as and, and you might be here today, you might be looking into Christianity, uh, wondering if this is true, or you are studying the claims and teachings of Christ and wondering about the validity of it. Uh, hopefully this will help you. And we're going to look at such questions over these weeks, such as, has science... I did change this last night. It should be, has science disproved God? And one last time it was better grammar than hasn't science. So has science disproved God? What about suffering? 
Uh, how do we know Jesus is real? Does God really care about what I do with my body? What about other religions? How can a loving God send people to hell? Uh, how can I believe in the Bible? What about morality? So, at the end of this, hopefully you will be well informed. But if you're here just for today and you're not going to come back, these are the answers. No, there is a point. We can. Yes. He's the only way. Justice, we have evidence. There you go. Thank you very much. What a series! What a series! I hope, I hope you enjoyed the series. Uh, we're going to restart Luke next week. Um, <laughs> Actually, we did a three and a half year series wow. on Luke, so um, anyway, hopefully you'll be well informed by this. But we also want to encourage you to read and discover for yourself. As Jeeves said, there are new titles on the bookstall. I could feel the enthusiasm washing over my shoulders as he told you. I just wanted to recommend a few of these books. Um, Can Science Explain Everything by John C. Lennox. Um, I don't wish to insult anyone, but this man is brighter than anyone in this room, yeah. and he will be able to explain things much better than I will today. Uh, ten questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity, uh, and finally, by the same author, Rebecca McLaughlin, uh, Confronting Christianity. It's kind of like the grown-up version of this one, but it's both are very good. I'm reading this one with my son at the moment. Uh, so just encourage you to get them. They're all reasonably priced as well. Yeah. And as Jeeves said, you can pay by card. So get yourself there. What we wanted to do was, you know, help people that might be looking into Christianity to look at these questions, but also do this series to help equip us, the church. Um, so we have a kind of healthy, healthy, well thought through discussions with people. Now in uh, I just want to take you back a few years. In 2016, I was living in Bury St Edmunds, which is in Suffolk, in case you didn't know. Uh, and God started to speak to us about moving to Sevenoaks. Uh, I was safe uh, in this church about 20 years ago, um, and God spoke to Adam about me joining the team. He wanted me to come and be the evangelist and eventually join the eldership team. Now, at first, I turned him down because I was very happy in Bury St Edmunds. But then God started to speak. Actually, I was re just remember thinking about this this morning. I asked a friend of mine who was very prophetic to pray. He didn't know anything, didn't know that I was thinking about uh, moving or I'd been asked this question. Uh, didn't know anything about Seven Oaks and just asked him to pray. And he came back with a prophetic picture that described this church building almost to a T, the community it was in, and all that Adam was asking me to do and come and help with. And, uh, that a couple more things happened, and it got to the point where actually it would have been disobedient to stay in Bury St Edmunds, so we moved. And I was really looking forward to all that God had in store for us and what he was going to do, and is still going to do, through Hope Church. I didn't know everything, um, otherwise I may not have made that decision. But, um, <laughs> no, it, but actually very excited by what God was going to do. But there was this kind of element of with me, I was slightly reserved, slightly apprehensive about the title of evangelist. Now, I, I believe that's a gift that God has given me to speak to people about Jesus, but what concerned me was this kind of expectation of, of that the evangelism was covered by the evangelist, and plus the pressure for me to see people saved. Now, by God's grace, we have seen a number of people come to Christ over these years. But actually, the job of the evangelist is to equip the saints, that's all of us, for the work of ministry. Yeah. Not the evangelist goes and does the work, 
you know, preachers on the street corner. No, it's all of us responsibility. Yeah. So Ephesians 4, uh, find my little clicker, hopefully the grammar's better on this one, who knows? Uh, and it might be difficult to read, but Ephesians 4 says, he who has descended is the one who has ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So, although it was and still is my job to reach people for Christ, to share the gospel with people, it's also my job to help equip the church, to speak to other people about your faith. I don't know if you remember, if you were here last week, Kate Gann came and brought a word about God using us in our everyday life. Remember that if you were here? Good. I'm glad you were paying attention. Uh, and she prayed for God to enable, to equip us and embolden us to tell people about our faith and for him to use us in our everyday. See, it's right for the gathered people of God to, to come together, to worship Jesus, to read and learn from his word, but this is where we only spend a short amount of time. So we should be looking for ways for God to use us in our everyday. Not many people are called or meant to be in full-time ministry. We're meant to be out in the world in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods, with our families, showing the love and kindness of God to others. But we are also meant to speak yeah. and share the news. It says in Romans, how will they know unless someone preaches? Yeah. We also, as we do that, one thing that's, all, one of the verses that's always stuck, stuck with me when considering witnessing, you may not be called to be an evangelist, but we are called to be witnesses is the verse in 1 Peter 3. Do you think that's easier to read? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I was putting this together as I was watching the Champions League final last night. <laughs> so I was experimenting with the with the, uh, the So here we go. Just being honest with you guys. That's all, that's, this is my life. Football, Jesus. Jesus first, obviously. Uh, if you're a Liverpool fan, I'm very sorry about the result. Um, Anyway, 1 Peter 3 says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Yeah. Do it with gentleness and respect and always be ready. So my hope is that we as a church are a people who share what we have. And we thought through our position. And our question today is, I'm pretty sure I changed it. Has, let's, let's imagine it says has, has science disproved God? Or how can you choose God over science? Or creationism versus evolutionism? Or is there a conflict between science and Christianity? It could be any of those questions. Now, if my teachers from school, who are probably dead now because I'm quite old, um, if they could see me today talking about science, they would probably laugh. I did not leave school with any qualification worthy of note. I was working in the building industry since I was 16 years old, um, because I got lots of Fs and stuff. And I did get a D though, but that was a PE, so I'm not sure if that counts. Um, so, the, the line of thought really behind these questions is that if you cannot prove something in a laboratory, then you shouldn't choose to believe it. That's often the kind of discussion, like I've had lots of discussions that run Alpha for many years, um, 
So this is the kind of things that are coming up. I've, I've read and watched discussions and heard people say that it's almost an unintelligent path to believe in a God that you cannot see or prove. I hope you feel encouraged by that. Um, a well-known atheist said this, evolution makes God unnecessary. I guess people needed God to explain all the wonder and complexity of the world, or even the mysteries of the human nature. But now we really don't need an intelligent designer to explain anymore. So there's no intellectual necessity to believe in God. So people think or approach the Bible that it's a book of myths and legends. That Christianity is unenlightened. That people should only believe something if it can be proven scientifically. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but actually, if you accept that as a view, then you have no arts or humanities or literature that wouldn't qualify as knowledge or philosophy or history. And nothing that happened in the past could be affirmed by anybody because you can't do an experiment in a lab to prove it's true. So you can't do an experiment in a laboratory to prove that Winston Churchill lived. Or so we should, should disregard Churchill or disregard Julius Caesar or William Shakespeare or ev anybody else. Uh, with that statement. So you should only believe something that can be proved by science. And that statement in itself cannot be proved by science. So we shouldn't believe it, and especially if this challenge comes to if all human knowledge must be scientifically verifiable. So you're not just saying Christianity isn't true, you're saying no statement about anything that's happened in human history can be true. Only the things we can believe are the hard sciences. And that puts an awful lot of us out of the job, which some of you might be quite pleased about. But it also means you're narrowing the field of human knowledge in such a way to remove a truth claim that maybe you got married 10 years ago. Or maybe you got married two weeks ago. We've got the new uh, Mr. and Mrs. Newton with us this morning. Hey, hey, stand up, stand up. Stand up, Come on, guys. Yeah, stand up. The new Mr. and Mrs. Newton. Nearly forgot their name. I only conducted half of the ceremony. Um, but you can't say that, and it also means um, you can say the truth claim that your daughter loves you. Or so you can remove the truth claim that Jesus is alive. None of these things can be true by definition because we've restricted the boundaries of truth to what science can prove. And as I say, science can't even prove these statements. So, so, yes, Christianity cannot be proven scientifically, but neither can an awful lot of other things. There's been uh, some clash over the centuries of scientists of the church. Some have been persecuted for trying to teach that the planets revolve around the sun. Galileo and the Catholic Church. Some would say, for example, that modern science shows that miracles do not happen, whereas the Bible is full of miracles. Others claim that the scientific theory of the gradual evolution of humans and their organisms by natural process is inconsistent with the account of creation in Genesis 1. The English biologist and agnostic philosopher T.H. Huxley, for example, said the doctrine of evolution, if consistently accepted, makes it impossible to believe the Bible. Richard Dawkins, who's kind of like I always think he's like the pantomime villain of modern day atheists, doesn't he? Like Dawkins comes on and everyone boos. Well, if you're a Christian, you might. Um, you're obviously more, more loving than I am. But he comes to a similar conclusion in his, uh, in his book on a chapter on Darwinism where he says that 
God almost certainly does not exist. Almost certainly. What is often missed, though, when discussing science and Christianity is that it was the Judeo-Christian worldview that provided the right environment for modern science to emerge. The Christian faith is monotheistic. Belief in one God led people to expect uniformity in nature and with the underlying laws of nature remaining the same in time and space. A universe that was capricious and irregular would not be capable of systematic study. The first modern scientists that invented the scientific method because they believed in the creator God of the Bible, who is totally in charge and is incredibly intelligent and completely free. Scientists will notice something that happens in nature and they ask, why is this happening? They use a, a theory called hypotheses to explain why that thing might be happening, and then they test the hypotheses by running experiments. Scientists assume that everything in nature is caused by something else, and that cause and effect will work the same way wherever you are in the world, because the universe follows consistent rules. And it's only because the first scientists believed there were consistent laws running through the universe because they believed there was a consistent law-giving God. So, as I've said, there is this thought you have to believe in one or the other. Science and faith cannot live in tandem. And the flashpoint is often Darwin's theory of evolution. That because of natural selection, you cannot believe in the creation story, and certainly can't believe both. And then there are some Christians that believe in evolution. Some that don't, and some that are not sure. A bit like all of society, really. But there are leading scientists that, that are Christians and believe in evolution. People that know a lot more about science than I do, or probably most of us in this room. Since 1954, the Catholic Church has said that it finds evolution and creation compatible. Some may even think you cannot be a Christian and believe in evolution. I, I, I wouldn't say that, I'm not sure why you might think that, but personally I don't believe in the whole thing, the whole of evolution. Now I'm going to get technical for a bit, okay, just for a very small bit. I'm going to probably have to read my notes a little bit more, I might have to put my glasses on to seem more intelligent than I am. Um, so just for a moment. Take a deep breath, right. So there are two types of evolution. Micro and macro evolution. I definitely need my glasses on for this <laughs> Micro evolution is uncontroversial. It is well documented, naturally occurring biological phenomenon. It happens every day in a process whereby pre-existing genetic information is rearranged, corrupted and or lost through sexual reproduction or genetic mutation, yeah. producing relatively small scale micro changes within a population. For example, two long-haired dogs producing a short-haired puppy would be an example of microevolution. Yeah. Macroevolution is somewhat more controversial. There's a theoretical explanation of microevolution that requires the introduction of new genetic information. Yeah. It's believed to produce large-scale macro Changes. So an amphibian evolving into a reptile or a reptile evolving into a bird are examples of macroevolution. <clears throat> macroevolution is an important concept for Darwinists. 
And they believe that me the mechanism for their idea that all life evolved from a, a common primeval ancestor. So since microevolution is this small scale biological change, macroevolution is a large biological change, they argue, Darwinists, that macroevolution is simply an accumulation of microevolutionary changes over time. I hope you're still with me. Um, I'm not sure if I'm with me. <laughs> Evidently, this is a reasonable explanation of microevolution. Darwinists, therefore, often cite evidence for microevolution as evidence for macro. However, because macro requires new additional genetic information, no amount of rearrangement, corruption, or loss of existing genetic information will produce macroevolution. In other words, no amount of micro will produce the macro. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. yeah. Good. I can send my notes if you like. Um, actually, just read John Lennox, it would be a lot <laughs> So that's why the macro is controversial, and it remains theoretical. Yeah. It's still known as the theory of evolution, yeah. even though it's taught as fact yeah. in a lot of our schools. Yeah. Darwinists have been hoping that this genetic mutation would provide a mechanism, but, but so far has not been the case. Uh, another leading scientist, you're going to have to take my word for it, Dr. Spetner again explains, I really do not believe that neo-Darwinian Darwinian model can account for large-scale evolution, i.e. macroevolution. <laughs> What they really can't account for is the build-up of information. And not only is, the improbable, is it improbable on the mathematical level, that is theoretically, but experimentally, no one has not found a single mutation that one can point at that actually adds information. Yeah. In fact, every beneficial mutation that I've seen reduces the information. It loses information. Yeah. So, when creationists say they don't believe in evolution, they're not talking about microevolution. Yeah. They're referring to macroevolution. Yeah. Microevolution is credibly observed and it's scientific phenomenon. What creationists do not believe is Darwin's macroevolution explanation. There's a really great article on this on a website called gotquestions.org. And actually, if you've got any questions around faith, you could go to gotquestions.org and type it in and it will, it's a very helpful, I've read a lot of the articles and find most of them pretty reliable. Yeah. Now we could discuss this particular part all day, but it's also worth worthy of note that while scientists have a theory to explain how more complex life forms develop, they really don't know how life got started in the first place. Yeah. Atheists like atheist authors like Dawkins tend to be adding all sorts of other beliefs uh, when they talk about science to make it sound like any time we find a possible scientific explanation of something in the natural world, it squeezes God out of the picture. And we should also not believe everything scientists say, because what they believe changes over time. Changes. Uh, and theories over the Big Bang have changed over time. But we should believe as Christians, Bible-believing ones, that God created us. The Bible tells us the most important truths about human beings, and that a scientific description of a human can never give us the whole story. Stephen Hawkins thought that heaven was a fairy story, 
and for people who were afraid of the dark. And if only people believed in science as he did. And the problem is that if we only believe in science as Hawkins did, we don't just lose the hope of life after death, we lose the meaning of life before death. The Bible tells us we are of value to God. We've heard that this morning, haven't we? That we are unique and precious and made in the image of God. Yeah. Now, one of these, one of the authors that I re- uh, recommended this morning, Re- Rebecca McLaughlin, said in her book, uh, "I'm writing this book on a laptop computer. Our one-year-old son is lying uh, next to me asleep." If I threw my computer out of the window, it'd be a waste of money, but I could buy a replacement. If I threw my son out the window, I would be doing something deeply and profoundly wrong. My son is not irreplaceable. He's not replaceable like a computer. He's a unique and precious being. Science is an amazing tool. It helps us discover useful things to make our lives better and to recognise beautiful things about our world. But if we boil everything down to what science can measure, then you and I don't matter anymore. We're just computers in a fleshy case. Believing that God created the universe isn't illogical or outdated. According to top thinkers in science today, believing in the God of the Bible is the best foundation for science. It's also the best foundation for understanding what a human being is and why you and I and my little baby Luke are infinitely valuable. I also think that my belief in God fits better with today's scientific views, rather than atheism or evolution. There are these opposing views about how the world came into being. There's the atheist view and a a varying number of faith views, but let's just look at the the, uh, Christian worldview of creation. One is that God is eternal. He is outside of time. So there's no question of who, who created God. He is infinite. He's the one who created the universe out of love. And the atheist view is that something came from nothing. That everything we see is by chance, impersonal, undirected forces of chance and time. That all we have is matter. That's everything. That's all we have. And I think the science points us towards, the, in favour of, the Christian view. Firstly, that something came from nothing. The universe creates itself out of nowhere for no particular reason. Just try and think about that for a moment. There's there's nothing here in this space, there's nothing, and there all of a sudden something out of nothing. I mean, are you you with me here? Does that not just sound a little bit bonkers? So the atheist view would be, you know, 50 billion years ago, nothing. 20 billion years ago, nothing. 13.7 billion years ago, something. It just came, it appeared. I think this is so hard to defend without any outside agency intervening. An entire universe explodes into being out of nothing. This is what is called the Big Bang Theory, the atheist view. Out of nothing came everything. Okay. Andrew Wilson is a a, a pastor in the New Frontiers Church in London. calls this the virgin birth of the universe. Something came out of nothing. So when people say to us it's ridiculous that you believe in the virgin birth, 
you can say, well, that's what you believe about the universe, isn't it? The Christian view is that the eternal, infinite, creator view is the right one. That the existence of something from nothing is not at all pro is, is improbable. It is, it is probable if God exists. He can create. We have an infinite God, the creator. He is the ground of being. Everything else, he, he can decide what to create whenever he wants. He's all powerful. And he created the universe out of nothing. It's no big deal if this is true, if God exists. He's the creator. But the atheist view of the sudden appearance of something is a problem. It's something that people have to explain more and more elaborate models to try and explain. Yeah. And they might be right, but I don't think they are. But and it requires so many ifs and buts and maybes <laughs> and leaps into the unknown that I think that simply taking it on face value, the idea there is a world which suddenly appeared millions of years ago by itself is something that would nudge me in the favour of the Christian view. I think that's a bigger leap of faith than what I believed to go, yeah, that just happened. So the existence of something from nothing is the first scientific reality we, we know about that should point us in that favour of God the Creator, the Christian view. And we also see order in the universe. If it were all down to chance, surely it would be more chaotic. Not ordered. It doesn't become more ordered over time. It's such a big leap to believe that something came from nothing. The sun is like a perfect distance away from us. That if we were any closer, we would be fried. If we were any further away, we would freeze. The earth spins on a perfect axis. Uh, to believe that all of that happened by chance is such a huge leap of faith. Now, a well-known uh, scientist and uh, Christian scientist from today is uh, a guy called Francis Collins. Uh, he was the former director of the Human Genome Project Mapping DNA, and he did that for 30 years. He's now one of the leading scientific advisors for the US government. He said this, when you look at a, the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and the weak nuclear force, etc., that have precise values. If any one of these constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases, one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce, coalesce come together. There would be no galaxies, stars, planets, or people. I'm just trying to explain that for a moment. This is like having 15 giant roulette wheels and you have to land on the number 15 every time. Except that the roulette doesn't have 36 numbers. I don't know how many's on a roulette wheel. Anyone know? No? <clears throat> Good. Um, <laughs> that was a test. I would have to speak to you afterwards. Um, <clears throat> so instead of having, let's, let's say, 39 numbers on it, uh, instead of 39, there's a, a million, one million numbers on it. And you have to land on the number 15. Not just once, but 15 times. So you spin the wheel, <laughs> so the wheel's spinning, the wheel's spinning, imagine, and, and it lands on 15 for the first time. You're like, wow, this is amazing. 
the, the, the second one spins around again and again. It lands on the 15. Like, I've got to call my mum, you know, get the press involved. This is, and that happens time time, that happens 14 times until you get to the last roulette wheel that doesn't just have one million numbers on it. It has 10 to the power of 60 on it, which is the number one with 60 noughts behind it. And you've got to land on the number 15. So this wheel is so big, you can't even see the end of it. It's obviously big, so you have to put your effort in and spin this massive wheel. It's coming around, it's coming around, and it, it lands on the 15, and then goes over one. Guess what, you've got to start all over again. And that is the chance of the universe being created by chance. That is what Francis Collins is saying. And it's such a huge jump that atheists will take. It's like me trying to hit a bullseye. Now, I'm not, I'm all right at darts, I can hold my own. I spent a lot of time in the pub when I was younger. Um, it's me trying to hit the bullseye on a dartboard. I mean, from here to the other side of the room would be quite difficult. I'd probably end up skewering Nigel. Um, I probably wouldn't even hit the dartboard. But it's like me trying to hit the bullseye on a dartboard from the other side of the observable universe, 20,000 million light years away, and me hitting the mark. I mean, that's quite a throw, isn't it? That's a big dart, probably. It's not likely, is it? Who thinks that could happen? Who thinks I could hit the bullseye from the other side of the observable universe? You have no faith. <laughs> yes, it's impossible. And that is the scale of the odds from the last roulette wheel, not the other 14. So I think the Christian account of creation is far more believable. Science doesn't tell us why either. It can tell us something of the what. Again, the pantomime villain Richard Dawkins quotes uh, Douglas Adams in his book that says, isn't it enough to see that a garden is beautiful without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom of it too? Basically, can't we just believe the world is beautiful and leave it there? Well, no, we can't. Gardens don't make you believe in fairies. They make me believe in gardeners. Why is there order? Most things in the material world, there is anarchy. It's like, I, I use this example in the origin series. It's like a teenager's bedroom. It starts off tidy, but over time, it starts to degenerate into a complete mess and disorder. You're feeling me there, aren't you, parents of teenagers? It's like if we left this building empty for many years. Imagine if there was no Steve Palmer this building would just degenerate into a mess and disorder over time. For a few weeks, to be honest, we struggle when Steve goes on holiday. If you leave things over time, they will shift into a less and less ordered system. So why is it that there is order now? Why is there the human brain? Why is the inner complexities of how our body works? We either started millions or thousands of years ago, depending on how you view it, with fire and rock, we now have order. This lifeless mess turning into a highly specified group of complex organisms. You are sitting next to a complex organism. 
Genesis 1 tells us that world, the earth was formless and void, and then God spoke and his spirit brought order. We see the eternal nature of God. We see he is good. He is bringing light into darkness, order out of chaos. We see the Trinity at work in the Spirit, the Word and God operating in the first few verses of Scripture. Faith in Jesus, in a creator, is what helps us make sense of the world. It gives us hope beyond this life. Outside of Christianity, there is no hope. What we read in the pages of Scripture tell us something magnificent. It helps us make sense of it all. When we look at the stars, the seas, the mountains, we can know what it says in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So, has science disproved God? No. And you don't have to choose between science and God. There are so many top scientists that have proven that over the years. Copernicus, who uh, founded the the foundations of modern astronomy and the scientific revolution for suggesting that the Earth travel around the sun, along with uh, physicist and astronomer Galileo. Isaac Newton, a towering intellect in history, believed in the inspiration of scripture and wrote theological as well as scientific books and actually um, regarding his theological books as more important. Michael Faraday, who was a great scientist, one of the great scientists of the 19th century, said his Christian faith was the single most important influence upon him. Joseph Lister, Louis Pasteur, Francis Collins, all great scientists, all confessed to having a personal relationship with Jesus. Some people will reject what we say. They rejected Jesus. So to to be honest, if you get upset when you're rejected, you just need to read the Bible because it happens all the time. And you can rejoice in heaven when you're rejected in the name of Jesus because your reward will be great in heaven. That's what it says in Luke 6. But we need to try and engage. There will be things... Definitely things that Ian Lettington hasn't covered on science. There might be things you disagree with what I've said, probably. But read the book, study this up. I urge you to study this. Buy the books from the bookstore to equip yourself. When we start Alphas, we would encourage the team to just, you know, refresh their memory. I would often read like Tim Keller books or apologetic books to just refresh my memory. And the stuff generally I would study never comes up in the alpha, that particular Alpha, but It's just really worthwhile to refresh yourself. If you've got questions or if you've got friends with questions, invite them along to the next Alpha, which starts in September. Be informed as a Christian. You can probably tell, I am not a well-educated man, but when I look into this stuff, it reaffirms my faith. It cements it. It helps me not be rocked by conversations with people. It reminds me that there is this amazing God who who created the stars and the heavens and me also. And that that his heart is for many to come to the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But when I'm having a discussion with people, it's not about winning an argument. 
It's not about being right. It's, we're not, we don't need to smash down people's walls of defence or their arguments. We need to take it down brick by brick. And the ultimate story, the discussion that we need to tell, is all about Jesus. Yes. This, this is helpful to come to an understanding of this stuff, but I just find it so helpful in discussions with people who don't yet believe, it's just to bring it back to Jesus. Yeah. It's the easiest thing to do. Mm. They can throw all sorts of questions and problems of why they won't believe, what the church has done, and bring it back to Jesus. Yeah. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe he existed? Well, no, I don't. Well, then let me show you. Yeah. Let me show you the evidence. On the trip that I was on recently, uh, to when we drove to Krakow in Poland, um, the, there was two guys driving the other van, they didn't believe, and one of them said, well, there is no evidence, is there? I never thought about it. Yes, there's evidence, let me tell you about it. I'm now sending you things all the time. <laughs> Very grateful. Um, yeah. That's the ultimate story we need to tell. Yeah. Yes. Some of these questions that we are tackling over these next few weeks can just be a barrier. And actually, often, as uh, Ruben and I and Gabriella will tell you, people start Alpha with some issue, but often that, that's not really the thing that gets in the way. Yeah. It's about the heart. Yeah. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to work. Yeah. I didn't realise the Holy Spirit was drawing me near to Christ before I gave my life to Jesus. But looking back, it's so obvious to see. Pray. Answering people's doubts won't convert them. That has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Modern people might try and discount the working of miracles. They think it's a suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant it to be a restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not <clears throat> originally make the world to have disease, hunger and death in it. Jesus came to redeem the world where it is wrong and heal where it is broken. Yeah. And he can heal your brokenness today. Didn't we hear about that already? He's come to set us free. He's yes. come to set us free. His miracles are not just proof that he has power, but also the wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. He defied science by dying on a cross and rising three days later. Yeah. He died for us because we have broken our tie, our relationship with God. Our sin is what separated us from the presence of God. The entire creation was affected Romans 8.20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. He has set his plan in place to save people from sin and judgment. Yeah. He has sent his perfect, sinless son to die for us, to bear the penalty for us. As we've heard and we were singing about this morning, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Yes. So that whoever shall believe in him 
Whoever shall believe in him shall not perish. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the work of what he did on the cross and his resurrection power, you shall not perish. You do not need to fear the grave. He has come and he has done it. He has defied science by rising again. It's a picture of how you will be your resurrected bodies in heaven, in glory forever. So believe in him. They will be redeemed and restored to a right relationship with him. Now, if you do not believe in Jesus, or if you're thinking, like Jesus already prayed, I think you are real, Jesus, and I want you to become Lord of my life. That means surrender. That means a surrender. It sound, It might even sound, you might see the kind of televangelist painting it up as this amazing picture, but actually it's a, a dying to self. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Wilson, who I quoted earlier, describes it as the free gift that costs you everything. Mm, yeah. You're to die to yourself. You're saying, Lord, I am no longer in charge of my life, and you are. And what it says in your word, I will obey. So I want you to consider it, if you've never done it, if you've never said, Jesus be Lord of my life, yeah. consider this, it costs you everything. And he's come to give you life, yeah. and life in all its fullness. Yeah. Yes. Why don't we stand, and we're going to pray. And if you want to pray, I'm going to give you another opportunity to pray that prayer that Jesus prayed. <clears throat> and it's just three simple words. Sorry, thank you, please. If you want to just say, Lord, I want Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Let's just close our eyes. Everyone's going to be bowing their heads. You can just say this in the quietness of your own heart after me. Lord, I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. For turning my back on you. Thank you that you died for me and for my sin. Now please come into my life and help me follow you by the help of your Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 That brings us to the end of our week one um, <clears throat> of our big question series. If uh, you've got some more questions about that, there are some free booklets at the back. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I just want to encourage you to take one of these. Um, and if you've got any questions, speak to Jeeves. Now, uh, we will be having a Q and A sessions a couple of times through this series. We'll be sending out uh, where you can send your questions into if you've got questions, and we'll try and help cover them. Uh, Ruben will answer all your difficult theological questions. So. <laughs>